Welcome to BNB Books and Banter, a podcast where we are currently reading through Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. This is Linda. And I'm Sarah. We're currently reading the first book, The Way of Kings. Hello and welcome to episode 39, which I'm going to rename A Philosophy and Guilt. Chapter 39. Burned into her. Ominous. Very. So the quote this time is from a folktale. Among the dark-eyed, which is an interesting place to be Mm. looking for some of these stories. And it references instantaneous travel. And oath gates. Now, instantaneous travel is sort of self-explanatory to us, but what is an oath gate? Right? It sounds very cool. Yeah. Or very special. Yeah. I wonder what it does in a folktale. Well, to me, the interesting part is we're talking about, like, scholastic research, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And we know that most, I would say most dark-eyed are not, you know, in the scarly pursuits, which means somebody took the effort to talk to all these people who are in, I hate to say lower caste, but that's what it feels like, right? Somebody had to take the effort to talk to these people to record their stories, because if it weren't for that, like, their stories would be lost. Mm-hmm. But they would only be oral or exist among their own community? Yes. But the fact is, like, during the scholastic research here, it's the source. I don't know if it's because of the author, but they are also, like, looking into these stories and using it as proof or, you know, could potentially be pivotal to their research, which is interesting because there's just so many questions around like the scholastic arts that you and I have both like talked about previously. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm just a little surprised. Well, I guess I'm not really surprised, but it's good to see that there is value being placed in these, um, even if it's just folk tales. But at least from the that there's some amount of I don't know how would you say that like some amount of their culture that is preserved. Yes. Folktales can contain a lot more than just a story. They contain an insight into a community's culture or beliefs mm-hmm. or structure, even. Yeah, there's there's a lot that can be gleaned. I mean, we all take it for granted, right? Like stories that we grew up listening to and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like Johnny Appleseed on our side of the wo- our side of the ocean here, <laughs> which I have never heard of. <laughs> yeah. So we've both grown up with different, completely different tales, but I'm sure at the heart of them, they probably have similar messages. I'm kind of curious. We should do a folktale exchange at some point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not relevant to our podcast, but maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do something. I don't know. We could. I mean, it'd be kind of cool for us to link a couple of, like one or two folktales. Yeah. From our respective countries. Mm Mm-hmm our cultures mm-hmm. yeah i think that would be it would be really cool to do yeah i don't know if you have any about instantaneous travel though <laughs> that would be that would be top dollar <laughs> if you could, instantaneous could do that travel i don't think i know of any not so much instantaneous travel but there is travel between realms it could be fun yeah it could be fun 
that would be a research pro or a side project for us when we have a few minutes while we're not reading light novels <laughs> <laughs> or watching and watching TV shows. shows. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find, see if we can find folktales related to instantaneous travel. Anyways, yeah, this could be fun. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a good idea. Yes, it is. Um, so the chapter title is called Burned Into Her, and I, I think we can easily see what Shalon is struggling with. Mm-hmm. I think it is a pivotal moment in her development. Yes, it is. It has definitely made her question everything that she understood about the world and how it worked. Mm-hmm. And you can see that based even on the number of drawings she has outputted of the scene. She can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, it's kind of traumatized her in that normally when she paints a picture, the image from her mind goes onto the paper and that's it. She no longer has to think about it. it it's no longer in her mind. In this case, no matter how much she draws, she can still see exactly what happened. I mean, she she mentioned it too, right? Like normally what she does is she takes like a mental snapshot. Mm. It's a conscious choice on her part. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it wasn't a conscious choice for her to take a snapshot to put to paper later. Mm -hmm. So it is a defining moment, I think, in her life so far. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about that too. Like, it's such a controversial situation mm -hmm. like if we struggle to like talk about that in a way that is I, I wouldn't not relatable but like if it's uncomfortable topic for us to talk about then she as the character who's experiencing it it's pretty traumatic yeah I would say the way like she's experiencing is has all these signs of trauma I don't know if I would label like a survival is a survivor's guilt to it but she feels guilty of something. Yes. Guilty of not intervening. Guilty of not witnessing one of the deaths so she can memorialize the person. Mm -hmm. She's just feeling guilty all around about being in that situation. Yeah. So the other part of it is like, is she dealing with her guilt correctly? Mm. Right. She hasn't made an effort to find out these people's names what their stories are like no I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that that is the right situation but i'm saying or the right way to go about it but she's not mourning these men in a in a sort of a any sort of recognizable way to me mm -hmm. it's more that she's just still very shocked by everything she saw I think part of it, too, is maybe perhaps how Jasna took these lives, right? Yeah. Like, she's soul-casted versus, like, I, I don't know if it'd be less traumatizing if it were because, like, Jasna was this amazing, like, swordswoman that, like, took them all down in a physical fight versus, like, versus what she did, which is almost, like, waving her hand and taking these lives right but as well as that she used a device which she considers almost holy that and like remember that shalon's been raised in a very traditional way with very traditional um 
Ardent. Ardent. <laughs> She's been raised with very traditional ardents. Mm-hmm. And she would have been strict. taught very, yeah, she would have been taught very strictly. And about just like how precious the soul caster is. And like, it was never, even her own father, as far as she knew, was, was using the soul caster to create materials. It was never used to take a life. Exactly. I don't think she even imagined that the soulcaster was capable of that. Yeah. And it was Jasna who did it. I mean, she had been learning from Jasna and she knew Jasna was a heretic, but Jasna was never conf- confrontational about it. Very respectful, if anything. Yes, but this kind of flies in the face of all of that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot that went out in this, or that's come up in this particular encounter. Mm. So, yes, I am not surprised that Shalon is struggling to process everything. Yeah, and she says logically, you know, logic did not condemn Jasna. And so she went, you know, across like all of, I wouldn't say all, but she went across multiple branches of philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Some other one, let's see, what should she do? The philosophy of starkness. Yes. Kill or be killed. And then we have philosophy of purpose. Actions themselves are not evil. Intent is evil. Mm-hmm. And we have philosophy of ideals. Um, this, so this is about morality is separate from the ideals of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have philosophy of aspiration. Objectives must weigh against methods. If the goal is worthy, then the steps taken are worthwhile, even if some of them on their own are reprehensible. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the only ones, right? Yeah, I think that's them. Yeah. I'm sure there's more, but like the fact of the matter is we have how many do did I just read off? There's four different philosophies that are mentioned here. Yeah. And I would assume these are the more mainstream ones that she easily had access to. Yeah. Or that at least they would be the ones that Jasna would have encouraged her to look at. I don't think Jasna would have told her which philosophies to look at. But she would have recommended authors, I would assume. I don't think so, because it was, she made it a field exercise, first of all. That's true. So I, I think I would be more suspicious of Jasna's intentions. Mm. But literally, Jasna just was like, okay, field exercise, boom, now you deal with the consequences. Yeah. So whatever Shalon decides to look into here is on her. Yeah. I'm sure if she decides to talk to Jasna and get more recommendations, she could have. Mm. But as we can tell with her current mentality, she really just doesn't want to talk to Jasna at all. Not at all. (laughs) Right. And it's more than just this event, right? Because it's also... What she did as a result. Yes, because the philosophy condemns her for her actions after. Right, because she decided out of anger, she stole the soulcaster. Well, she replaced the soulcaster with the faulty one. Because she didn't believe Jasna deserved it. Right. She didn't take it to save her family. That was not her intent at that exact time. Right. So, yeah. Her philosophy investigations has basically said Jasna was in the right and she was in the wrong. But for her, she doesn't feel like that is what is right to her. Right. 
And part of it too, right, is who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong and who deserves what, mm -hmm. right? That was the whole crux of we did not like for you and I as, you know, readers, like we don't want to, <laughs> not that we don't want to, <laughs> but we are abstaining from passing judgment on the situation in the previous event, right? Yeah. And we talked about Jasna chose to do what she did knowing that King Tervangian. Yeah, King Tervangian couldn't order the troops necessary to protect this alley and to resolve the situation. So she took independent action. But we have to remember that Jasna comes from a background. She's, she's royalty, so she knows the burdens of ruling. And she is from a more warlike nation who place pride in taking action this way. Yes. So I, I am a little loath to say that this is natural for Jasna, but it's kind of natural. <laughs> it's kind like, of... I, yeah, it is what is probably expected of her in her role and situation in life. I feel like Tarvangia was hopeful that Jasna would, I don't know if it's too far to say that Tarvangia was hopeful that Jasna could help him resolve the issue. Mm. I'm pretty sure, he, actually, I'm not sure at all. Like, I don't know if he knows that the Soulcaster could be used in such a way. Would he, like, considering he allows Ardents into Kaharbaranth, would it not also be condemned to use the Soulcaster in such a way as she did? But she's also got her special label as heretic, right? That's true. So, so that's why I'm like, I don't know if the king knew that the Soulcaster could be used in such a way. But let's also talk about the fact of the aftermath, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly, Jasna has not gotten punished for what she did. Yep. Nor has Shalon for being there. For being a bystander, yeah. Mm -hmm. So unofficially, he approved of how this situation got resolved. Because there is absolutely no other explanation for a figure of crystal to be standing in an alleyway. Because that is what was left behind. <laughs> That's so terrible. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like somebody must have smashed this crystal, right? Mm -hmm. Anyways, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, like, she passed judgment on Jasna, saying that Jasna didn't deserve the Soulcaster for how she resolved the situation. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of interesting to see Shalon's mindset at this point. Yes. Th that she feels like she can punish Jasna, a bit secretly. Yes. But in her heart of hearts, like she has punished Jasna. Yes. So I, I'm kind of interested to see, like, although Shalon's in a precarious situation, I feel like her, she's going to rise. Like, just through her association with Jasna at some point, like, she's clearly also very smart. I feel like she will find herself in a position of power. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if she would, how she would judge in the future. Maybe not quite exactly the same situation, but I'm sure there's less dire situations that would be somewhat similar. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of grey situations ahead of her. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of foreshadowing of the stuff she's <laughs> going to get into. <laughs> she, 
Shalon, why don't you make this easy for me? (laughs) (laughs) Just tell her right now. Don't get into gray situations. But anyways. Actually, before we move on to the conversation about with her family, there is one final drawing she does, which we have not seen. The scene ever. Yeah, no, we have not seen the scene at all. And it is of a dead man lying face first on the floor. Prophetic. Is this associated with her past that she keeps trying to forget? So you're saying that there's more stuff she should feel guilty for? Or at least events have happened in the past that have also traumatized her. Mm -hmm. And her way of coping with it is to just try to forget it happened. Uh, You can only run from your past for so long. Mm -hmm. You have to process these things. Yeah, I see what you're saying because we're saying it's not another scene from the alleyway, but a lavish room with a thick ornamented rug and sword on the walls. A long dining table set with a half-eaten meal. And a dead man in fine clothing, lying face first on the floor, blood pooling around him. Mm-hmm. So, and her reaction is just to, like, crumple it up and kind of throw it away. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that's unfamiliar. Otherwise, you know, she, she, that would be something to note. Yeah, she would have reacted the way she reacted when she drew that drawing in the door. Yeah, with the weird figures, shadowy figures in the background. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, this is not an unfamiliar scene to her. She knows... She knows the man who is dead. Mm Mm-hmm. But she doesn't have a lot of time to contemplate her escape away from all of this death and philosophy because her brothers are trying to contact her. Mm Mm-hmm. The fact that they have a code phrase to kind of verify each other's identity is interesting. And her response phrase is, my back hurts and my wrist itches. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. I mean, that's not something you would normally write, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I would write the first half of that after having been sat at my desk all day. I think most of us would. <laughs> remote for a while. <laughs> Um, I think it's interesting that Nanbalat is attending feasts now in their father's name. Mm. And that he feels he can't skip out in them because there are certain people. There's a part of me that wonders, like, is it as much of a chore as he says it is? Yeah. Does he really dislike it that much? Or <laughs> Right. I-, I don't know. It's just something about the way it's written that I'm just kind of like, hmm, all right. You have to go to a feast, huh? Mm-hmm. How horrible. <laughs> <laughs> he actually does raise a question, though, which is, how can you use the span read on the ocean? So apparently, you can't. You can't use span read in, the, in water. Or maybe while they're traveling. It's a bit odd. How do these span reads talk to each other, then? I feel like you need a stable connection. <laughs> <laughs> You can't be moving. <laughs> Stay in the same location. <laughs> huh. Maybe they have to, like, attune to each other. Well, they do have to attune to each other, whereas the, the, the span reads are paired, right? Yeah. Didn't we say we were going to create, like, a span read hub? <laughs> like, yes, we did. messages. All right. We're going to have to take this into account. Cannot 
communicate on water. <laughs> so there goes the Pure Lake. We can't have it in the Pure Lake. Is it on water or is it because they're moving? That's true. We got to figure this out. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's going to impact our future development mm-hmm. as merchants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a business writing on this. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what our name's going to be, but we'll figure something snazzy. <laughs> All right, let's see. And we see the effects or the effects of Jasna's tutoring or mentoring mm-hmm. of Shalon because clearly her logic has grown by leaps and bounds mm-hmm. such that her brother is impressed. What did he say? When did you get so good at logic, small one? Yeah. And she's also very aware of how ruthless Jasna is now. So her logic is not incorrect. Her logic is solid. <laughs> yeah, it's very logical. I feel like despite knowing what she knows about Jasna, I don't think she still understands the full or the amount of influence Jasna could wield against her. She's not incorrect saying that Jasna probably can get somebody, like get an order out to somebody in Jacoby to be on a lookout for her, mm-hmm. especially knowing that she has to go back to Jacoby. Mm-hmm. She could cover all the routes that she wants, I'm sure. Yep. I mean, would ja- uh, Shalon even be able to get a boat from Carabranth to Jacovid? Yeah, somehow I doubt that Tarvangian would help Shalon escape Jasna. Mm, I doubt that too. <laughs> Especially considering the amount of goodwill Jasna has shown mm-hmm. in the interests of Carbranth. Yep. So, Shalon is right. If Jasna wanted to pursue her, she would be found. Yeah. And time is still ticking. Yes. So now there's more pressure piling on Shalon in her current mental state. Mm-hmm. The family's running out of money. And they can only keep up the facade for so long without their father showing their his face, right? Mm-hmm. And without being able to pay off the creditors. Somebody's... Somebody's starting to get suspicious, I'm sure. Not even just the the people that are looking for the Fabriel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then Shalon's gotten so paranoid that when she sees somebody she doesn't recognize, she has to take the... Mm. That's when you know you've done something bad, when, when you see someone you don't recognize and your first thought is, I have to hide this thing on my person. Yeah, or that person is a spy. Mm. But as she says, even if she hid it in her safe pouch, Jasna could still order her to um, search the contents of her safe pouch if Mm -hmm. she believed there was a criminal offense there. Yeah. Yeah. And she's already so full of guilt. (laughs) Now she's so full of anxiety. Oh, Shalon, you are in a mess. Mm -hmm. And then she gets reminded that Capsule exists. Yes, because he sends over a basket of bread and jam. Blue bear jam. Mysterious, reserved, and thoughtful, if you like it. But I think what is most interesting is she thinks she couldn't keep stringing him or herself along. (laughs) She was afraid of where the relationship was going. He's supposed to be an ardent. There is 
not supposed to be any danger of a relationship. Unless there's something about the Ardents we don't know. Hmm? Like, can they have a relationship? Did we talk about this? But then why would it be okay for him to be alone with her? That's true. So, yes. <laughs> she acknowledges that she is stringing herself along there. I mean, when she says him, too, right? She... Well, she thinks she's stringing him along. Well, he would have to leave Ardentia in order to mm. be with her. And he hasn't given any indication that he wants to leave. Well, does she even have that freedom? Mm. To marry for the sake of love. Like, before she... I would assume... Okay, refresh my memory. Did she get set up with an arranged marriage? Not yet, Not right? yet. She just... She was under the assumption that she would eventually be married off and have to manage said person's life. Yes. Yes. There was no indication that her marriage would be purely love-based instead of advantageous to the family. To the family. It would benefit her if she was in love with her future husband, but... Of course. It would also be much more beneficial to the family if she fell in love with a rich noble. Preferably of a higher station, I assume. Mm. Yeah. Let's see. And then... Shalon takes the basket, goes to make a couple of sketches out in the garden to relax. Mm. And she discovers that this, there are snails that are cleaning the shale bark. Yes, so we discover, well, we see more of the kind of scholarly pursuit Shalon would take. If left to her own devices. Yeah, yeah. If given the opportunity. Yeah. And it's an area that there isn't a lot of uh, scholarly interest in because it's not big enough. The, the snails aren't big enough physically in size to be of interest. I mean, that just speaks to what the scholar is interested is in, right? And it's more macro than micro. Mm -hmm. Whereas Shalon's very interested in seeing how a snail interacts with shale bark and how the creme also interact and how this symbiotic relationship develops yeah i the thing that kind of is interesting to me is she says snails and plants can help one another but i betray chestnut <laughs> that's how she ends that thought and i'm like what but at the same time it speaks to her current state of mind right we did say that she's feeling a lot of guilt mm -hmm. and i think she's also adjusting not even just like adjusting her worldview right she has trouble adjusting that because before it was very black and white for her and now we're talking in shades of gray which is already difficult to navigate but also she's self-discovery is also can be very uncomfortable mm -hmm. like i think in her heart she really does see jasna as a teacher as somebody to be respected and by stealing from jasna like she's betrayed that trust, somebody who is clearly investing in her personal growth. And then no, I don't know if I'm skipping too far ahead, but towards the end of the chapter, like when she couldn't figure out how to make the soul castle work, if she goes to the Ardens to try to learn how to use the soul caster, it made her even feel worse, right? Because she would be betraying Jasna to the Ardens. Which is the greater betrayal. Mm. Like the Ardents would be delighted to take the Soulcaster, but 
it would betray everything Jasna stands for. Right. And Jasna's all about freedom and logic. Mm-hmm. And like to me, Jasna wouldn't pit herself against the Ardents intentionally. Mm. But if a debate were to happen <laughs> and they cannot present satisfactory answers, then Jasna would nod back down. Exactly. So that being said, the Ardents have tried repeatedly to steal the Soulcaster from her. It's very underhanded of them. And Jasna has prevented, or what is it? Um, Deflected? Jasna stopped. Yeah, it's just, she just prevented it from happening. Like she took care of it herself mm-hmm. and said, no, my Soulcaster. Probably not what she said, but. <laughs> <laughs> She defended her soul casting. <laughs> yeah. Which says a lot about Jasna's own abilities, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like the Ardents could hire third parties to help with this, with these attempts, and somehow it still remains in her hands. Mm-hmm. And even now, I mean, even though her soul caster has been taken from her, it's not very far. Yeah. But I think it also says to, well, you think she would have discovered it by now. Maybe she has and she just hasn't said anything. Yes, because Shallan's weren't wondering about that too. She's wondering, has she just not soul-casted anything for the couple of days it's been? Which we know cannot be true because when Shallan isn't there or when Jess is so focused on what it is that she's researching, she subconsciously soul-casts mm. for just like little things like paperweight or you know yeah it's just subconscious like so if it's something that you don't notice that you do on a daily basis i would assume it's almost a daily basis Hmm. how would you not notice by now how would you not notice yeah Yeah. exactly so has she noticed and is keeping quiet yeah but we also have no idea how soulcasters work Mm. maybe it was never really broken they just never knew how to use it that's true because we do find out when she tries to soul cast here that she has used other Fabrials in the past. Yeah. And they were simple to activate. This is Shallan. But this one, it, it's not modern. It won't respond to modern methods. So she has no idea what she's doing. <laughs> well, if it's modern methods, that kind of makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. We try to make things as simple and user friendly as possible. She literally put the soul caster on and went fire. <laughs> <laughs> Tap, turn on. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't surprise me that the soul caster doesn't work for her because even the ardents require a lot of training to master the soul caster, right? As we saw in one of the interludes, like soul casting garbage. Mm is used for practice so to me it sounds like it's not something easy to learn Mm. and clearly it's very expensive because we're talking you're wasting like gemstones to which is money exactly so it's not easy and it's expensive Mm -hmm. so and it also sounds to me like the soul casters being of different strength makes it sound like it's limited availability Mm. so either they don't have the knowledge to create more soul casters 
or they don't have the knowledge to create stronger soul casters, which is why the one Jasna has is so contentious. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of questions there. Yep. Well, maybe not a lot of questions, but just like, I, I don't have a lot of questions related to it, <laughs> but we don't know a lot about it. Yeah. But hopefully we discover the answers along with Shalon in future chapters. So something kind of out of the blue. Knowing what we know about soulcasters, that they can take lives, we don't see the soulcasters being used in war, aside from creating buildings, from creating buildings that we know of. So is it because the modern Fabrials just don't have the same power as the older ones? That they can't actually take a life, they don't have the power to do it? Or is it because it's so expensive to do that it's not worth it? Yeah. Because, what, Jaslyn burned three gemstones for four people? Was it all three or was it just the big one? The diamond and Jaslyn's soulcaster faded. Let's see, smokestone cracked. And then leaving her with the diamond and the ruby. And the diamond started to fade. Some of the lights started to fade. Yeah, so it would become, it would come at a cost. Mm-hmm. So it cost is one smokestone. Then this is for Jasna's particular one, right? Mm. So let's say technically it'd be one stone, maybe one and like one and a third mm. for four people. That's pretty, that's a pretty expensive to trade. Yeah. But if it were assassination tool, that would be affordable. Why don't we see it used more in assassinations? Or is it used in assassinations and we just don't know yet? That's something to keep an eye out for, right? I mean, we've used Zeth, uh, we've seen Zeth used as an assassination tool, but he hasn't mentioned coming across a soul cast at death. But don't forget he's all caught up in his own world. Hmm, but his latest master beheaded his previous one. Yeah, but this would require Zeph to care enough about the world to pay attention to other deaths aside from the ones that he's caused, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And maybe like we'll we'll start to see more events. Maybe we'll see it there. Because I really doubt that Jasna's Soulcaster is the only one that the Ardents have lost track of. Mm. Well, I mean, Zeth's current master, his like his new master that we last saw, had was doing things that was similar to what Jasna had been doing with her soulcaster. Mm -hmm. So there could be at least one more out there. So surely there are more than that. Maybe, yeah, it's something, something worth keeping in mind. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we're just paranoid, and maybe no. <laughs> No, you're not suspicious. I am. <laughs> I'm always suspicious, in case you couldn't tell. Sadeus. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have every right to be suspicious of Sadeus. But Dalinar told me not to be. <laughs> I think Dar Dalinar is a little bit unreliable in this instance. <laughs> Biased. Yeah, we'll see how this all plays out. Mm-hmm. But yeah. still, Stas. <laughs> Maybe I just don't like him. Maybe that's just it. I think we both don't like him. 
and both don't trust him. Uh, the thing is, we're not only seeing Zadeus from Dalinar's angle and Adeline's angle, we're also seeing it from Kaladin's. So we're getting three different views of Zadeus and none of them are flattering. Yeah, maybe he's just a terrible human being. Yeah. I mean, he can be a terrible human being. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we don't have to like everybody in this book. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Join us in the next episode, which will be chapter 40. And we know Kaladin survives, because Tuft. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at BN Banter Podcast. Again, that's BN Banter Podcast to get episode updates. If you extra love us, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast to help spread the joy.